I don't think I've ever been down here before. Oh, man, never? I used to come down here all the time until I realized I have a gambling problem. Yeah, they, they throw out some, some of the best stuff down here. The note the bird gave us said we needed to meet the guy in the back near the locker rooms. Maybe it's over here. Uh, no, this this looks like the locker room, so uh, we need to find the guy right next to the locker room, so, uh, I guess we might be close. What in the rounds is a girl doing on Nuka Pena? How did you get here, little green one? What, me? Told me he was a bald raccoon. Uh, I thought he was. Raccoon pattern baldness is a huge deal for us raccoons, so it's not like I asked. In fact, I got on my way to not bring it up. Tell me, little green one, do you walk the same path I do? Uh, yeah? I walked here with my friends. Well, we took the subway for part of it. Right! Our next challenger is Agro Larry, hailing from part That's me! I'm gonna go win this prize fight. Perhaps we will meet again, little green one. Bye, Mr. Larry. What are you three doing back here? We're looking for the fixer. My idiot friends got distracted, as usual. Well, you found him. Bartholomew sent us to ask you to look at something? Yeah, it's in this briefcase. You don't say. How's the old chicken doing? He's still chasing rubble? Yeah, that's, uh, he still does that. That's how he found us, actually. Well, give it here. Let's see this briefcase. By the gods, is this a planar portal? We don't know what it is. We were hoping you would know what it was. That was rhetorical. It's definitely a planar portal, but it looks broke. Well, you're a fixer. So, uh... Yeah, you should fix it. Listen here, kid. I fix fights, and I appraise and collect winning. I don't fix relics. Lucky for you, I know a guy. Magic the Gathering, Proving Grounds, the only Magic the Gathering podcast that proves that you should not draw on magic cards. How's everybody doing this week? I actually used to play in a, a magic turn, weekly magic tournament where uh, whoever got last place, the person got to pick a card out of the deck that they were playing and draw on it. Oh, no. No. But I, I actually have a time spiral downstairs somewhere where someone has just drawn a giant uh, pen spiral on top of the art. I thought you were going to say giant something else, so I'm glad it's just a pen spiral. <laughs> I, I in, in my play circle, they play this game called Flip It or Rip It, oh. where two people go into... You've heard about this? Yes. The internet was really mad about it. Uh, yeah, two people go in on a pack, and then they rip cards. They don't look at the cards, but they... They mix them up, they shuffle them, and then they rip up one until they rip the rare. If you don't rip the rare, then you get to keep it or something. But I didn't, I don't know. It sounds bad. That sounds, that sounds like a bad time all around. You, what have you guys been doing this week? I've been playing more Pioneer. It's pretty good uh, format. You guys should try it. It's not. Hey, it's not super powered, but it has its own little quirks to it. I don't know. It's a just just a different way of playing that I appreciate. I want Pioneer to be good. I just don't believe it is right now. It will be in another decade. 
Yeah, it's it's probably close to how modern was when it first started. Like power level wise, obviously there's no fetch lands. Didn't but. they say they used the same time frame that modern was when it started? I think so. So maybe in ten years, then Pioneer will be. A- so in ten years, I won't be able to afford to play Pioneer yes. either. Yes. Get in yes. on it now. Once it gets good, you won't be able to afford to play it. You gotta get on the ground floor. So uh, Ben was playing Modern. It's little brother Pioneer. What were you doing, Dave? Other Dave. Mostly just playing standard. Playing standard with the continuing to roll with the mono white aggro deck. Standard is in a good place right now. They have like lots of different decks. Yeah, they do. Although I always seem to play against ones that have Meat Hook Massacre in it. Well, yeah, it's a good card. If you're in black and you need some removal and you don't mind losing your own cards, then get the Meat Hook. Yeah, I happen to like Meat Hook Massacre a lot. Uh, good card. So I'm just saying that it is consistently the only card that I ever seem to play against. I I played against a mono white deck earlier, which should have been a mono white deck that had black splash in it. And the only black spell they played the entire match was me took massacre. Who splashes for two black pips, (laughs) man. That's crazy. It's like, what, what is this nonsense? It's that powerful. Y'all need to stop it. So I guess what I've been doing is I was in uh, Myrtle Beach, which is actually in South Carolina, I come to find out, and uh, not North Carolina. Oh, yeah? Um, for most of last week. So what you're telling me is that you went there on assignment, but you actually just were you like went from North Carolina down to Myrtle Beach instead. I played, I played some marina by the beach like you told me to, oh, man. At least it was Fine. by the beach. Yeah. Is there oh, a good. toilet by the beach? Yeah, it's called the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you were laughing. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, anyway, so I played some magic on my uh, my little mini vacation right there. I mean, assignment. And it was good. Came home. Listened to the last week's podcast. Great job. Got some corrections I wanted to go over with you guys. Because I felt left out of the discussion, so I thought I'd run by some oh, stuff so here real quick. Oh, so we got something wrong. We're wrong. Got some notes. Well, one that was empirically wrong, and then uh, just, you know, things I'd like to add to the conversation. Okay, let's do it. So, in regards to the Unfinity set, the Shocklands have already been announced, and they've got, like, really sick-ass space oh. art. Yeah, uh, I for saw each them land. a couple days ago, and I was like, oh, these look cool. They are. I, I want them so bad. They look really cool. They're like planets and stuff. So, yeah, the point still pretty, pretty stands. Mad. They want you to buy Infinity by releasing Shocklands with sick art. Yes. Okay. Well, the thing with this unset in particular is that, you know, they've had, what, three other sets before now. And some of the stuff they had originally put in the unsets because they didn't do them in Magic, we now do in Magic. So, like, the dice rolling... That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do that now, uh, thanks to the the D and D sets. So there are actually cards in um, the set that will be. I'm using air quotes for people listening. Uh, you know, black border legal. Like the whole set's not even being being printed in silver border anymore. It's all black. And then the cards that will be considered silver border cards are going to have a different security stamp on them 
than the regular. Is that the like planeswalker? Is that the up. acorn thing they keep talking about? Okay, yes. So instead of the planeswalker trident looking thing, it'll be an acorn. It'll be an acorn, and then that's how you know that that's not a black border legal card. Oh, okay. So there'll be cards that are legal that they print that I assume will be legal in Vintage, Legacy, and Commander, and then cards that would be Silver Border if they were doing that anymore. So Nice. It's uh, an interesting take, I think, moving forward on Unsets. I think this is the way to go. Correction number two. I play more than Mono Red Aggro, guys. <laughs> You're really selling me dirty. Uh, it's just my favorite... Technically, if you want to get real serious about it, Control is my next favorite archetype. Oh, so you do uh, like Is It? Oh, yeah. I'll, I do, actually. Sweet. A lot. Well, so I you do, can make um, Is It aggro, even. You don't need to play Is It Control. Is It Prowess? Yeah, well, I have the uh, uh, Is It Phoenix historic yeah. deck, and so I play that from time to time. Although, I've been playing a lot of the uh, Kitty Evan deck recently. In, in, in a historic, which is what I typically play when playing historic. And uh, still haven't heard you list a control deck. Oh, okay. So there was a control deck. I don't have it built because uh, it was during the beta for Arena that I had it, and then they wiped everybody's accounts coming into the full release. But I had a was it coming of the second sun deck? It was a blue white aggro with uh, Teferian, not. Blue white control with Teferi. You can't even say control. I can't. You got, really hard. You got a blue white Teferi aggro deck. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that friggin' uh, the second sun blue white control deck that was real popular back then. I love the hell out of that deck. And then they I, wiped everybody's account, and I was like, I don't really want to get all the cards to put this back together. Might put it back together. I seen uh, a variant of it in a explorer match, or was it? Historic, I don't remember. One of those uh, extended, non-rotating formats. Do you want to give us your uh, counterspell picks? Counterspell yeah. pick? Uh, I really hate Absorb, so I assume that's a really good one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that, was my, that was a sick segue, because that was the next thing on my list of things I really hate Absorb. It's almost as if I have show notes. I, it's I, like, uh, it's, yeah. It's, uh-huh. it's almost like you don't like control. Oh, I love control. Mr. I hate absorb. Oh, I hate having absorbed cast against me when I'm playing mono red aggro. Casting absorbs on other people. Fun as hell. You know, (laughs) it's fun when the misfortune isn't happening to me. (laughs) Yes. Anyways, that'd be my pick. I have a, I had a question when you guys were talking about mana, mana, Dwayne, mana drain. Um, do you think when that card was originally printed, the you get all the mana at the beginning of your next main phase was seen as less of an upside because mana burn existed? And if you couldn't spend all the mana by the end of your turn, you took damage? Oh. Or has it always been like pure upside? My guess is it. I mean, the big blue decks back then had a lot of artifacts that they could just pump mana into. So my guess is they had a way to avoid it, but I could be wrong. What's your opinion on that spicy take So it's possible because mana drain actually adds colorless mana. So 
like Dave said, of course you we could just dump them in artifacts if you're playing it, but that that's kind of like a an adjustment that was made, I guess. You know, like maybe you don't use mana drain if you're not an artifact deck, but original because of that that thing back in the day, you know, because of taking mana burn. So if you only have, you know, uh three cards in your hand and their counter spell and you know, something else that costs one and a blue and something else that costs, you know, and two and one blue. Then if you, I if just you counter a spell for five, you're going to take two damage because you can't spend that colorless mana. Right. But uh, my memory, and my memory may not serve me correctly here, at least when I started playing, which obviously is way after Mana Dream was actually printed, is that the big blue deck in type one was Tolarian Academy. Tolarian, the whole reason Tolarian, yeah. Tolarian Academy is good is because you have all kinds of ways to spend that mana. Yeah, so they would benefit from mana drain because they would never take the mana burn. But in another deck that just is like a control with some, you know, force of wills and things like that, they might not, they might use it still, but then they would take the drain. I don't know. It's a good question, honestly. Now, what if I told you the highest. Uh, converted mana spell that you could cast from the alpha set was seven. Does that change your opinion on whether or not you would take mana burn from it? Like typically casting the seven converted mana cost spell? Is it illusionary wall? It's uh, Lord of the Pit. Lord of the Lord Pit. Lord of the Pit, okay. It was printed, so, okay, mana drain was originally printed in Legends, so that would have been right after. It's the third magic expansion, so yeah. There wouldn't have been a lot of spells to spend that mana on when it was originally concepted, I guess. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. It's a good thought. I mean, it makes sense. But today, when <laughs> it's definitely, like, let's put it this way, it's definitely the best counter spell nowadays. Post that well, yeah, change. Yeah, because there's no downside. Guess we'll drop right into news then and uh there really isn't any news other than spoilers and as everyone knows we do one big spoiler show at the end of spoiler season for the set which will be next week so we'll do our our hand-picked cards for double masters double double masters for double masters yes uh double masters two this is the second Double Masters, but there was an article released on the Wizard site called Seeing Double Masters that goes over the limited environment and the kind of archetypes that they have built into the uh, the draft environment. So thought it would be neat to go over them and talk about maybe what collar combos we think are cool or would enjoy Specifically playing. for the Double Masters Limited. Go ahead and get started with the first collar combination. Why don't you take that one, Ben? Okay, so a white, blue, black. Um, they ha- they say this archetype's about a lot of like flicker value, which means it has a lot of creatures with enters the battlefield effects that you can like ephemerate in and out, you know, exile and return immediately to get those triggers again. Uh, things you can bounce to your hand, things you can recur from the graveyard. So that's the white, blue, black limited mechanic in there. Right on. And then the next is uh, blue, 
black red. This archetype is more of a. Oh, one second, real quick. I want to add a comment to that last one. Um, in limited searching for things that have two effects and then into the battlefield effect on top of a creature, where you're going to get a creature and an enter the battlefield effect is super important. It's one of the keys to a good draft is searching for things that are going to give you double value. Yeah, the because limit is all about managing your resources and making sure that you draft something that is going to maximize that. All three of those things help to maximize those resources. It's the reason that Virashino Pyromancer is such a good card is you get that two damage as an ETBs and then a creature if it sticks around. And when when it doesn't, you don't feel so bad because you already did two damage, so... Being able to blink those cards and get multiple ETB effects is really fun and value-driven. Next up is the blue-black-red. This archetype is graveyard mid-range, according to the article. And it's you use uh, black's ability to get creatures back from the graveyard and blue and red's ability to get spells back to recur high-value threats. And and gradually overwhelm your opponent. So, more graveyard shenanigans. Mm-hmm. How do you guys feel about graveyard shenanigans? Typically, good. I don't bad? really play it often. I do understand its value. It's just not really the archetype I tend to gravitate towards. I've never. It seems like fun, but it's never felt consistent enough for me to, to play. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Unless it's Snapcaster Mage. It, it seems like a nice thing to have in your deck, but not to build around. Because anything that can be shut down by one card, you know, if your opponent puts a Ley Line of the Void out. Yeah, or Graph mm-hmm. Digger's Cage, or not Graph Digger's Cage, or um, Relic of Progenitus, or no, Torrent's right. Crypt, or cage. anything that just says Exile Target Player's Graveyard. Yeah, it kind of shuts your whole game down. Yeah. yeah. A lot of graveyard hate nowadays. I don't. I haven't looked through this uh, set to find out what that is in this environment, like the draft environment, as far as double masters, graveyard hate, but uh, in general, construction. Not a huge wise. fan of, of graveyard play in limited either, just because. I mean, typically the spell that's going to get it back for you could have just been something else that would have been of equal value. Hmm. Or whatever. If it's a creature that continuously has that ability, it's different. But I, I don't know what the draft environment looks like to speak for certain. Yeah, and we won't know until we get all yep. the spoilers. Really? Yep. How about you take the next archetype there, uh, other Dave? Black, red, green. Archetype plays into the popular strategy known as Jund. The best strategy. <laughs> Junk. Uh, where the deck utilizes high-strength creature removal and individually powerful self-sufficient threats with some light sacrifice energy. You'll see UBR and BRG overlapping in their larger mid-range creatures and some of their sacrifice themes. Yeah. Traditional old junk, huh? John does that. It's the... It has access to everything that you need. It has hand disruption. It has removal. It has big creatures. Find the land. Find the thing from the graveyard that Green has, or from the deck. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good uh, color mm-hmm. combo to play, in my opinion. Red, white, green. This archetype is heroic aggro. By targeting creatures with your auras and combat tricks, you generate powerful effects that can help you win in combat. The key to making synergy with the aggro archetype is to pay attention 
to the low mana creatures in the overlapping colors. That's direct from them. It sounds pretty yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> PR'd. It's great, though. Yeah. I love, um, well, obviously it's an aggro uh, archetype, so y'all know I'm on board, but like, I don't know, there's nothing that makes you feel more powerful than like pulling off a really nice like combat trick and getting like just blowing them out and then you just feel really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. I like combat tricks. I'm not typically a huge fan of auras unless they protect the creature in some way. Because, uh, yeah, I'll go with you on that one. Ors are really, you just run a risk of getting two for one drill mm-hmm. real bad when they remove your creature with the ore on it. And then, like, most of them don't have flash, so you're getting two for one at sorcery speed. It's it's rough. Yeah. Tend not to uh, gravitate towards auras, but combat tricks. I'll do those every day of the week. So, uh, any other comments on the heroic aggro? Nope. Nope, nope. All right. Coming in with, uh, coming next is the green, white, blue archetype. This is big ramp, baby. So you'll use spells to access more mana or land and uh, put out big old fatties. Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Everybody loves dropping them big old fatty creatures on the board and trampling over people. I do feel I find it's interesting that they are putting white in that archetype. That's don't I mean green, blue, sure, but I would I would traditionally I don't love white in that combination. Yeah, they did mention that it's a bit of a departure uh, for the normal theme because if they're ramping, they usually do that with red rather than white, but I guess this time they're trying yeah, to I, I know that um Uro and and uh, and Gross Spiral kind of changed the game on that because people added white to those to make it mainly so they could run to fairy and and uh, prevent opponent interaction. Yeah. But I think Growth Spiral is uh, yeah. getting reprinted here, right? I could be wrong. I didn't see it, but it makes sense if it is. Um, trying to keep things fresh for the spoiler show. Yeah, white's not really known for its big creatures, so. I don't know what they're really bringing to the table other than uh, removal. Maybe they're doing. I don't know, man. Yeah. Guess we'll have to see. To... Next archetype is white, black, green, which is all about plus one, plus one counters. There are three colors that have the most creatures and the most access to pump them up, create an army, make them bigger, attack for the win. That goes tall or wide. Plus one, plus one counters are nice as a theme because it's easy to make other archetypes want to use them to buff their own creatures. Green, white, black is very interesting, I guess. Yeah, like it says, you can use the counters to go tall and wide at the same time, which is a pretty good strategy. I love me some counters. Green, white, black is another color combination that I do like for limited, just because you have, again, two colors that have access to removal and a color that has access to usually fairly decent creatures. Yeah. Yep. I think this one seems strong. Um, In theory, yeah. Good on them. I do have the same issue with plus one, plus one counters that I have with the auras. Yeah. Yes, you have to see how that all plays out. Then you have the uh, blue, red, white, or Jeskai. Uh, It's the prowess archetype. Jeskai. It's from, like, I think that was from cons, the whole wedges. 
that's when they named it. I think there were other cards that basically did that. Yeah, well, they introduced prowess, and I think in cons, the ones that focused most was blue, red, white. So you play yes. creatures, you play spells. They spells play buff the creatures until end of turn, and then you get the combat tricks from white also. So, yep. You think the they're well? I don't like. I said I haven't been paying attention to spoilers. Can't take it twenty four seven. You think they're going to reprint Monastery Swift Spear in this? Probably. I mean, if they're focusing on this, it's a good, it's a, yeah, it's a safe a, bet. Pretty, yeah, I would say. It's a, it's a very, it's an archetype that can be very good and limited, but yeah, uh, it's very difficult to balance. Right. Yeah, it's it's hard for you to plan against somebody who's playing prowess and limited because you don't know how many spells they have. How, how like when you're trying to do the math on your turn to see what combat's going to look like on your opponent's turn. It's kind of hard to suss that out. But like, yep. It's just uh, when you're building it, it's very difficult to balance the the creatures versus spells. And, and a lot of times it can be difficult just to make sure you get the things that you need in later rounds of the draft if you lean into it too heavily early on. Yeah, definitely a more experienced archetype for people who've been playing for a while. Yeah, because people are going to be going after your removal, so you're not going to see a ton of your removal, and that's really what you're going to need to be successful. So you're really going to have to make sure you're well-balanced with enough creatures that prowess is relevant, but not so many creatures that you're not getting the spells to buff with prowess. It's a tight rope to walk. It's my turn. Okay. Um, Black, green, and blue. This is the Graveyard Growth Archetype, straight from the article. Um, This deck rewards you for your graveyard getting bigger, with black and green creatures being the two best colors for caring about your graveyard. These are also the three best colors for filling up your graveyard, and black is good at sacrificing permanents and milling, blue is good at milling and looting, and spellcasting. Green is good at mulching which apparently is milling cards from your library to get bonuses for what gets mealed. Hmm. Yeah, that one seems interesting. I want to I want to see what cards they do for that. Yeah. You think you're going to we're going to see some delve cards out of this and uh, stuff like that for this archetype? Yeah. Likely. Uh what dredge? Badge. Maybe some dredge? Maybe. Maybe some madness. People do love the dredge. <laughs> Let's just start naming graveyard mechanics now. <laughs> Flashback. Yeah. Yeah, this one's the probably the one that's uh, hardest for me to wrap my brain around because I'm not a, a person who plays around in the graveyard a lot. So should be interesting. I mean, it makes sense for those colors to be in the graveyard. Yeah. It could be effective. You would just... Anytime you can loot effectively in a limited format and you can shape your hand into what you need it to be is is highly beneficial Mm -hmm. for some reason people people tend to shy away from blue and limited but if you can combine it with another color you can really yeah blue's powerful and limited uh, yeah i think it's one of those things again it's it's a hard to balance correctly because it doesn't have powerful creatures and it typically doesn't have removal and so if you're going into blue in a draft, you're typically looking for evasion or combat tricks, which means the other color that you're in 
has to be fairly powerful on its own. I agree. Really, drafting is just all about taking what they give you at the end of the day. Getting what you get and making good of it. Yeah. Moving on, I guess, to uh, the next one. Uh, red, white, black, a personal favorite color combination of mine. Archetype is a sacrifice deck. Three best colors at making tokens combined with the two best colors at sacrificing creatures. This deck tends to make a lot of disposable minions that you can turn to a game-winning advantage. Notice sacrifice theme overlaps with a few other archetypes. Sacrifice is powerful. That's a powerful mechanic. I do like sacrificing some uh, creatures. What was the red-black creature from Capenna Body Dropper? Yeah. The Got big whenever you sacrifice stuff. That was a when you had that deck that was put together a while. It was a fun. Um, yeah, red, red, white, black is. I can see this one being the chase color for drafts. All three colors have removal. Token creatures are huge in draft. If you can pump out a lot of them, if you can make a lot of them, chump mm-hmm. uh, blockers gives you lots of protection. Gives you lots of ways to win the game, going wide or tall. And for that reason, I think it will be almost impossible to draft because everyone will be chasing it. Fair. Yeah. I think you might be right. All right. The last one here, green, blue, red. The archetype is mid-range ramp. It has access to mana and beefy creatures from red and green, card drawing from blue and green, and tempo spells from blue and red. It's a versatile deck that makes use of a lot of different spells, different types of spells. I can sign on to the green or the blue and the red, but that green in there, hmm... I'm just kidding. It is an odd collar combination. It is with big old creatures. Yeah, it looks good. I want to say right now before we talk about, like if you guys want to go over which ones you think you'd want to play the most and whatnot, is that I'm upset that there doesn't seem to be an affinity archetype in this draft environment. <laughs> and I am very salty about oh, it. Wait, didn't you say that you thought they would reprint Frogmite? Frogmite? Yeah, no Frogmites, um. I don't think. Very sad. Yeah, this does not bode well. My my other yeah. question is, are they intending this to be a three-color draft? Because... You're that way, since every archetype they went over is three-color. I don't think that that's like... I, I, I suspect how it'll actually pan out is people draft two-color. People don't like going three-color. Mm-hmm. Even in when I did my pre-release events for New Capenna... People were like, don't do three colors, do two. So I will say this. Typically, you are correct. I've gone three colors before, but in most sets, two colors is the way to go. But based on what I have seen from previous master sets, there's usually enough mana fixing to go for a third color. And if you have the synergy, you take the synergy. That's that's kind of what I think, but people are like super against... Well, I, I'm super, I'm not saying to say super against it, but like in New Capenna, I wouldn't do it unless I had to. Like, I agree with the guy talking about New Capenna. Master sets usually are not that bad, though. Do um, you think this is a, a good time to bring up the only brand spanking new card? <laughs> in modern, sure. uh double masters, you want to sure, talk about it. it? Let's do it. All right. What's the what's the name of the card there, uh, there Ben? No. Why are you asking me? Because you don't know it. I'm, I'm calling you, to embarrass you on stream. I'm trying to embarrass you because I oh, didn't put this in okay. the show notes. So you embarrass me. It's Cryptic Spires. 
It's a land, and as you create your deck, you circle two of the callers below. Cryptic spires into the battlefield tapped, and you can add one mana of either of the circled callers. I don't, I don't. You write on your card. I know it's common, but this is weird. It's well. Here's the thing. Um, in the article, the seeing double masters. There's going to be this copy of card. This card. In every single pack, a copy of this card in every single pack. That's why there's 16 cards in the draft boosters, because this card is in that slot every single time. So what it's saying is that if you go three color, you always have the opportunity to draft this out of one of your packs. Yeah, I, you're obviously probably not going to wheel this all the way to the last pick of the pack and pick it up, probably. But... You'll probably have quite a few of these, I would think. Am I wrong, uh, other Dave? Well, if you have the draft pod and there's eight people, there's going to be 24 copies of this card. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously other people are going to draft them too. But well, yeah. I, ideally, if you have three of them, it should not be that hard to go through. Even if this is the only mana fixing you get with three of these, you should not have too much trouble going three color. I mean, it's not a bad idea. I just don't like the idea of writing on your own, <laughs> writing on your card. Yeah, like, that's what I was going to say. So are you on the right on the common card that you have 30 of bandwagon? Or are you on the don't write on the card, write on the sleeve side of the, the debate? I think that depending on your tournament organizer, they might make you write on the card. I would say they pretty much, I feel like they close to have to. Sleeves can be moved around you have to pick that you're supposed to pick the colors as you make the deck who's to say that in between rounds i don't swap sleeves out because i find that i need my right. red blue land more than i need my red white land that's true you wouldn't think that they would have when you make your deck list a notation like cryptic spires red red white so that they know so that's what it's supposed to be in my experience people very rarely get that checked anyway Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And with something like that, like because the deck check has to come from your opponent saying, "Hey, something doesn't seem right." Here. Okay, I see. Right? They don't. They don't just like. They're not just going to be like, "Hey, okay, we're checking your deck now randomly." I would have to feel something suspicious was happening, and I wouldn't think that that you know, like I would never think to even guess at what they would have circled originally. So there probably is notation somewhere, and you probably could get caught doing it. Yeah, I, I think you have to you have to write on it. I mean, if you're playing a kitchen table, you can just be like, "Hey, this game, this is what I what this means." But if you're in a tournament, you're gonna have to write on it. Oof, that's a that's a real feel bad though. I don't like doing it. it makes me feel dirty. It's a dangerous precedent to set. Yeah, for real. Um, somebody on Twitter had been I think it was Pleasant Kenobi. I don't know if you're familiar with him as YouTube creator. Anyways, I think he said uh, something to the extent of how long before they start doing. Scratch off <laughs> magic cards. I was like, I hope never. Because, <laughs> oof. That would be a lot of fun to have something like that at an event, though. Like, not as, like, a permanent inclusion into packs, but something, like, at a special event. Yeah, like a one-time. Like that. Hey, come here and do this thing where you Just, scratch something off. Right. Something like, uh, you know, each player gets to start with one card in play, but they don't know what it is until after the match starts. And then you scratch it off with the quarter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a raging goblin. 
<laughs> victory. So we're all on the uh, writing on cards feels oh, bad yeah. train then. I, I'd like to see somebody that wants to write on their cards. <laughs> Again, I have a time spiral with a spiral drawn on it. Very nice. It's um, very sad so to look at every time I see it. I love that you you bring it around, doing the whole full circle. Chekhov's time spiral. Okay, so uh, now that we know that we're not going to be drawing on our cryptic spires, uh, what do you guys think you would like to play in uh, draft? Should you summon the 30 to $50 to play a draft? Look, just a mild correction. If I'm at an event where I'm going to win money, and I need that cryptic spire to fix my mana. I'm going to draw on that card. I don't want to, but I'm going to. And we'll be real salty about it. Oh yeah, I, in in draft, if you want to, if you are there to win the draft, you often have to turn away or or uh, or not take the value anyway. So it's yeah. kind of if you're in that that mindset, the correct mindset, you're drawing on yep. the card. Okay. But mine probably uh I wanna I wanna mess with the graveyard, I think, in this. Just because Okay, well you got multiple colors. I know, there's so much. That, so which one are you going? I think the black, green, blue sounds the most interesting to do that with. And I'm assuming and like I said, we don't have a lot of spoilers like the full list right now, but like I'd like to use the Delve spells, I'd like to do the mill, the self mill. The looting and drawing, yeah, that sounds fun. Is it the best? Absolutely not. But that's the fun one that I would like to do. I, I find that one, I really wonder in that one, if because uh, in other blue, green, black archetypes, they have also given you access to your opponent's spells, which is always a fun part. Yeah, that'd be cool. So if they do that in that format as well, I think that could be really interesting. Uh, it's a real toss-up for me, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Red, green, white heroic aggro archetype seems really appealing to me like the combat tricks but oh am i a sucker for jeskai and prowess full stop my favorite color combo is jeskai so i'm gonna have to go with that i think i think that uh prowess is a really fun mechanic to play with i agree it's a good mechanic i am somewhat torn between the jund and the mardu can you explain what mardu means to ben because i doubt he understands red white black Hey, I'm getting a little better with the color combinations, okay? <laughs> Red, white, black is probably my favorite color combination, but I, I worry about late game with that. Like, I feel like I might end up drawing some stuff that's not uh, viable late on, whereas if I'm in red, black, green, I feel a little bit more comfortable with the late game. Add to the fact that green gets drafted less, so probably get a better choice of the higher tier green spells. Dang, man, you're, like, impressing me. I'm probably going to go red, green, black if I'm drafting. Now, if red, white, black is available, I'd probably go that, but I don't know that it's going to be available in a, in a way that's actually playable. Um, that's because you feel like red, white, black sacrifice archetype is going to be the most powerful and therefore most sought after? I think those colors are going to be in every successful archetype. So I think your removal is going to be hard to find in those color combinations to begin with. And then, like I said, I think other people are going to chase that color. I think people might chase Jun too, though. So Yeah, it's going to be... Again, at the end of the day, you draft what they give you. Yeah, you draft but what you get past. If I'm going to pick the one that's going to be my favorite to play, it's actually black, white, red. 
is my favorite to play. I just don't think it's a realistic choice in most cases. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Tell you what, your your knowledge of draft really boggles my <laughs> mind sometimes. I'm just like, wow, you think about this way harder <laughs> than I do. I'm just like, ooh, pretty cards. I get that bread algorithm down. <laughs> I don't actually, I don't believe in bread, but I believe it is a useful tool for people for learning draft. Yes, for learning. Yeah. What does bread mean? Can you just give me the Cliff Notes version so I can understand what we're talking about? So bread is a draft philosophy. The letters stand for bomb at the B spot. So those are your bars that are going to win you the game. Oh, okay. Finishers. Got it. Uh, you know, your, your super huge, your rares, your mythic rares that are just great. You know, your letter shredders, your to fairies or, what, or whatever. Like it's a card that is significantly more gotcha. powerful than your average card. R's removal. R's removal because, you know, removal wins your games. E is evasion because, again, yeah. evasion wins your games. A is aggro. D I think he is dud, right? Yeah. So E evasion would be flying? Yeah. Or fear? Yeah. Not flying, necessarily managed. just flying. I mean it, Yeah, it's that's an example. Ward. Of it. Yeah, flying, ward, menace. The things that make it hard for you to block or deal with your creatures once So if it's not doing the idea is if it's not doing those things, you want to make sure it's doing those things. Like you try to pick your cards based on having some of each of those. Yes. But yeah, like in any draft, you, ideally you would first look for your bombs, cards that are going to win you the game on their own. Mm-hmm. Removal, cards you can use to get rid of other people's bombs or anything that's really causing you problems. Evasion, things that can get through in non-typical situations, atypical situations, I mean. Then you kind of focus on... Right, so when you, okay, so you, when you take your draft pack out immediately and you're looking through your 15 mm-hmm. cards... Or in double double masters, sixteen cards. So when you're looking through your cards, pack one, pick one. You go through that order. Like you prioritize bomb. Then if you don't have a bomb, you go removal. Is that what you're saying? Yep. And then if you don't have any removal, you go evasion. And you do that for every pick. Okay. So what if you have like twelve bombs but no removal? At some point, do you stop? No. You just keep picking bombs. No. Dude, twelve bombs is a great problem to have. Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, if they're giving you bombs and they're all in the same color, you just keep rolling with that. I gotcha. Okay. Because eventually you're going to cast so many bombs that they can't remove them all if you've got yeah, 12. Like if, if you have 12 cards that can win you the game on their own, you're in pretty good shape. Fair. Okay. That makes sense. And limited. That sounds like an interesting philosophy. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a track. Uh, it's, it's really good for beginners in draft. Mm hmm better at it and better at because that will teach you the basics of analyzing the value of a card gotcha and and then once you get down the basics of analyzing the value of a card then you can start moving on to okay but when you break bread when you get out of that mold like when do you do it bombs are not traditionally where you would do it but you know sometimes you're like you know what i have a ton of removal already and i don't have a lot of creatures and there's a flying dude in here or, you know, like looking at your mana costs across the board and being like, man, I'm real high in mana cost. I have a lot of bombs, but I don't have anything early. So I really need to focus on my early game this last pack. Or even the attitude of paying attention to what you're not getting is 
also something that comes later than that. Like once you get to like in your first pack, pay attention to what colors you're not seeing because that's the people directly to the right of you are drafting those colors. Right. You know, the people who are handing you the packs are taking those colors. So, you know, pack three, you're not going to see those colors again. So that might be the time you want to switch or like plan differently. Yeah. For the remaining of them. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't draft a whole bunch. I like the pre-releases I've been to have been just sealed stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say this, um, interacting with that mindset, the bread mindset and learning to evaluate cards will help you in limited as well. It's not quite the same because you are, you have more cards in general to work with, usually six packs and sealed. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be quite as selective and you don't have to analyze each card in each pack, you know, to pick just one of them. But learning that process of, okay, this is how valuable this card is to me. Does it belong in the 40 or not? Can help you in limited as well. Gotcha. A lot of people who just start out drafting or doing sealed. What is good and constructed is not necessarily good and limited and vice versa, right? And I think sometimes it's hard to say, oh man, I play this in my constructed deck. So this is a really good card. Let me grab that. But in reality, like something like a Merc Tide, you wouldn't really want to draft, right? Because that that's it's not high on the list of drafting because you build your whole deck around that card and you're not guaranteed to get that in the limited sense. So why Merc Tide might be a bomb, are you going to get up to the seven mana before you die? You know, because <laughs> I mean, you're, yes, you're going to delve to pay for part of it, but the value of Merc Tide is higher in constructed than in limited. Does that is that the concept I'm trying to understand? It can go both ways, kind of. Like, yes, there are cards that are great in Constructed Hmm. that are not great in Sealed and Limited. And it is a mistake that people make often. So bread bread helps you kind of suss that out in a in a a draft sense. Because you you want to look at stuff kind of in a vacuum, especially early on. Yeah. If you're on pack three and you see a Merc Tide and you're like, man, you know, I do already have a lot of instants and sorceries. My graveyard does look like it's going to be pretty full. Do it. Yeah. But uh, early on. Pack one, pick one. He, he can be hard to jump onto. Yeah. Just like a Cavernous Souls pack one, pick one would be <laughs> silly. I mean, yeah, unless you're just trying to get value. But <laughs> No, there are people that draft just to take the big high dollar cards. But. If you do that too much, you're not going to win. I mean, it can be hard to, like, because I've done it too. Like, I, I, when I went to the World Bank pre-release, the, the shop that I was playing at did not allow proxies in drafts ever, period, end of discussion. And I was like, pick one, pick one, I open it up, there's a foil Jace the Mind Sculptor in it. That was expensive oh, back like, then. I mean, it just come out, oh. and it was already a $300 card. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a foil. You know, I was like, okay, so like I put it, it was obviously my pick and I put it down and they were like, you know, we don't allow proxies. And I was like, well, you can allow me a proxy in this situation where I'm going to draft and drop out. <laughs> like, I have <laughs> right norm and they know me, they know that I like to draft and I like to play it. And so they were like, this is weird. What is it? And I showed it to the guy and he was like, okay, yeah, we'll let you proxy this one time. <laughs> At least they're um, nice in that <laughs> regard. <laughs> and then they offered me $500 for it. Yeah, they're like, we don't want you to pay for that yeah. or play with that card because <laughs> we want to sell it. <laughs> That's so funny. Did you take them up on your their their offer? Oh yeah, 
Oh yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, okay, it's yours. As soon as that's a hard one to turn down. This is over. That's funny. Dick. The way I understand you guys are saying is Brett is supposed to help you kind of suss out how to build a better draft deck using uh, an easy to understand acronym. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It teaches you how to analyze the value of your cards. Uh, once you get to the deck building phase, it's not as important as it is in the drafting phase. It's, it's mm-hmm. just teaching you how to make your picks more efficient. Mm. I'm surprised there's not a letter in the acronym that has to do with mana value because that's kind of important in drafting, right? It can be. I really feel like that's probably what aggro would be because you want aggro's early threats and stuff. So you want low mana cost creatures to present oh a you know, better early game. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I don't. If I'll, do you agree with that, Dave? I, or am I talking out my ass? No, I agree with that assessment. I'm not sure everyone would, but that's how that's how I view that letter when I am drafting. Is I'm looking for low cost, high value. Not necessarily things that are aggro in the general. So like I'm not looking at a raging goblin. Right. You're you're not looking for the word haste. That's not what aggro means, right? Yeah, I'm looking for something that has a decent body on it at a low cost. Okay, so it is accounting somewhat for mana curve because, like, mana curve in limited is less important than constructed. The way I understand it, because because right. like limited, or sealed and drafting together, they tend to go more than just six turns. You'll get up into thir- 13 and 14 turns. So I, maybe the A is meaning, like, make sure you have some early gain stuff that can kind of start pressuring your opponent. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to come back from. The big thing, too, that you that you have to think of is you don't want a ton of early stuff. Because draft tends to go so long. Right. Because you get late game and you typically have seven or eight men on the field. If you have seven or eight men on the field, the game's out there. And you get to turn 14 and you draw your Raging Goblin. You're like, so is, is that why A is later on in the word bread? Because yes. that's... Well, aside from the fact that that's how you spell <laughs> the word bread. Briad. <laughs> Instead of braed. 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 Yeah. Um, Baird. I have a confession to make. That's probably my biggest error when it comes to drafting is petering out at the end because you have... I have you know, aggro me, have so much early game stuff and not enough late game stuff to uh, seal the deal at the end. So that's kind of what I focus on. I try to try to pull away from the aggro. Aggro really is a constructed format. When you get into limited, yeah. you're not, you're just not going to be able to effectively aggro. You have to have a plan for late game. Yep. That's my biggest draft mistake is always like, too much early game, not enough late game. Different World Wake draft, seeing card shop. I was I drafted green white and I had just a ton of mana production in there. My plan was to ramp up into the Eldrazi's, mm-hmm. but I didn't end up getting enough Eldrazi's to play that strategy out. Um, I had drafted a white. He was like four mana. I think he's a two five or a one five. Either way, his abilities that you could pay two and tap a creature. You don't have to tap him to do it. Just pay two, tap a creature. And since oh I was so mana flooded, I was able to tap out my opponent's board <laughs> every turn. Whoa. And swing in for two until I had won. He got so mad, he literally <laughs> wadded his entire deck up into like a little magic ball and threw it straight at the ceiling and it exploded like confetti all across the place. <laughs> That's absolutely hilarious. Rage quit. 
Hey, it beats flipping tables. I'll give him that. It's the only time I'd ever seen something like that in person. Because, you know, I'd heard a lot of people talk about how angry Magic players get. And I'd played a lot of it. I'd never seen it. <laughs> but I also had a pretty chill group to play with. And then that happened. And I was like, okay, this was enlightening. They do exist. Angry Magic players. Okay, well, I think we're going to have to uh, wrap this up, guys. Because uh, I have to pee. And we've been at this for a while. And... Kind of went on a little uh, tangent on uh, limited theory, which I enjoy. Yeah, so to sum it up, get that bread. Get that bread until you're experienced at getting the bread <laughs> and then try not to get the bread. Fair enough. Anyways, uh, so tell us, uh, tell everybody where they can find us, Ben. You can find us at MPG Pod on Twitter. And you can find me in specific at Be Nice MPG. Where can they find you, Moderator Dave? Find me at Dave MPG on Twitter. If you need to contact other Dave, he is the guy standing on the corner in the trench coat and fedora, incognito-like. You can also send us emails at show at magicprovinggrounds.com. We'll get those emails. We'll read them. You can ask us some questions. You can make some suggestions. Tell us what your favorite cards are. Your decks, your favorite draft formats, what your decks, draft strategies are, any of that stuff. Let us know. Sounds good. Yep, that's a wrap. I really do have to go pee really bad. Um, I'm going to go do that.